0: All right. Welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here today. Trung Fan, me, Master Flex himself, Jack Butcher, the founder of Visualize Value, and a very special guest today. We have Mary Childs, co-host of Planet Money, NPR's very own Planet Money, author, writer extraordinaire. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Well, we have
2: to plug the book. So, Mary, why, why, why are we? The main reason we're here. No, it's not the main reason. But you recently wrote a book. Is that correct?
1: I did. I did. I. Well, the writing of it is is um a long duration endeavor, but the publication is very recent. It was March. It's called The Bond King: How One Man Made a Market, Built an Empire, and Lost It All. Okay, so which we which some a people take an issue with? <laughs>
2: yeah, some. Uh, well, we're gonna get into that, but uh, asterisk. <laughs> so we start every episode with a meme, and uh, I got one for you. I found one for you. I'm excited. So I need to know your thoughts on this meme. <laughs>
1: so, yeah. For,
2: uh, for the listeners, it's a it's a James Bond meme, and it just says the name is Bond, and don't worry, I'll pay you back later. So, what? And is you, he at, uh, a,
1: at a gambling situation he here? Is. is that what's happening? So That'll fitting. Be. This could be Bill Gross. You know what <laughs> I mean?
2: <laughs> well, we're going to let's jump right into it. Uh, the, the question I wanted to ask because. A lot of our listeners, I'm assuming, are very—they're not as finance savvy as some of the previous podcasts uh, that you've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a big crypto audience. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> wait, uh, wait, wait, so wait, Tron, Tron. wait, a minute! What are we saying here? You talking about <laughs> no, the future no. of finance here, mate? What's I know, I know. <laughs> what, this
2: is, what, well, what I want to get to is there's a there's a passage in the introduction of your book, The bonking where you basically say. Uh, a lot of retail investors uh, probably don't know a lot about the bond market. They think the bond market is kind of slow, uninteresting. You think the opposite. You think yeah. it is quite interesting. I believe you actually said the equity markets is stupid. It, mm-hmm. I don't know if I, okay, you did say that. Mm-hmm. So, I'll say one thing about the size of these markets, and I'm going to pass it off to you. So, I think the bond market is about 120 trillion, and the equity market is about 70 trillion. So, it's almost 50 to 50 percent more, double the right? size. Yeah, it's right? much bigger. Why is it that retail knows or the feels like the retail knows so much less about equities and why it's less exciting even though it's maybe twice as big?
1: I think there are a lot of reasons, and one is like access, right? It's just easier and always has been or generally has been easier for regular people, for individual investors to access the stock market and to buy public equities. And that's just like, you know, I can hop on my like TD Ameritrade or whatever and do it whereas like to really play in the bond market. Like you can buy I-bonds, you can buy treasury notes, whatever, but it is much harder to buy like a block of 5 million. You know, like I'm not gonna do that today probably. And there are always attempts to like fracture bonds and do like baby bonds and like their ETFs now. So like to some extent this has changed, but traditionally, historically, it has been far less accessible. But it is, yeah, like you say, the, the scale of the market is substantially different. And I think that it's just... Like it feels like the equity market is the like fun, cosmetic, like play zone. It's just like here, you kids keep yourselves entertained. You know, at Thanksgiving, we're gonna be over here, like smoking cigars and making actual deals in the bond market where like I'm gonna take over your plant and equipment because I had that in the indentures. You know, like there's just so much more. Like it's where it's where, in my view, like rubber meets road governments are like affected by bond vigilantes historically. And there's all this like actual kind of tactile. Sport element to it that, in my subjective view, is just a game in the stock market.
2: Wait, Sorry. when you say just a game in the stock market is,
1: it's like Bill Ackman trying to like shake somebody into agreeing with him. Like it's like, okay, man, <laughs> like that's your opinion. I don't know. Uh, that just so, doesn't really do it. So for when me. he goes on
2: CNBC saying that hell is coming, and then right. you're looking at that, you're like, this is ridiculous. This is pure. It's right. just, it's just media playing your basically reality show character versus bond markets where you're actually going in the guts of a company.
1: Literally exactly that. And like, I get annoyed. I think part of my annoyance with the the stock market and the related coverage, and I think this has gotten better in recent years, is that like, if my job were still, you know, beat market reporting, I would have to write up everything Bill Ackman said. I would have to be like, Bill Ackman thinks this thing. And like, I don't no offense to Bill. I don't really care. Like, okay, okay, you're a guy. Okay. So, and there's like this overweight where like Bill Ackman just talking can take up so much of your time. And I regret that I have chosen Bill because like, you know, no shade, this could be anybody, (laughs) but like the individual, like celebrity star worship and Bill Gross was certainly one of these from the bond market and one of the few that kind of crossed over into the mainstream. But like, I don't know, I find a lot of that. Yeah. They're not in my view, like doing that same kind of tactile sport, like actual full contact with the companies that they, and governments that they invest in. And, you know, they think differently. They think they are, and like, they're doing activism and whatever. Um, so or I guess activist investing, which is super different from activism.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this would be a good chance, actually, to ask uh, Bilal and Jack what they think about the bond market, because I yeah. I used to have a CFA. I refuse to pay the annual fees. So nice. I kind of know what's going on in the bond market. <laughs> we call him Fiat really. fan
0: since the beginning yeah, of the I'm show. Yeah,
2: so. I'm I'm the <laughs> least crypto of this group. But Jack and Bilal, what do you guys know about the bond market? Did you realize how much bigger it is than the equity markets?
3: Well, I was just going to ask for a, a bond 101 here for the listeners i think we might be going uh yeah that's a good question we might be jumping the shark a little bit so (laughs) let's go let's go to the dummy definition and then we can reflect
1: yeah so stocks are you know publicly traded slices of ownership future value um whereas bonds are kind of if, if you think about like a I struggle to articulate the like capital structure element of it, but like if you kind of rotate up in the bankruptcy claim order, um, above stocks is the bond market, which is where companies and governments borrow. And it's just a loan, right? It's just like a company or a government is like, here, I need money to go build a thing. Please do give me the money. And investors are like, hmm, I like your plans, I like your credit worthiness or not, and set an interest rate accordingly. And there's such a nice precision to that and i think this is also like bond math is intimidating for people which is simply math but it's like you know the bond is 30 years in duration it's charging this interest rate and there are like ways in which those numbers interact that i think can be off putting for people um and and that's just like you know so so you have the the 30 year uh tenure of the bond and then over time that can change the, the secondary market, you know, is same as equities, you can go trade these things and the interest rate will, you know, that the yield on these, on bonds will, you know, rise and fall based on future expectations and current expectations of what the company's doing. Um, yeah. So, and they do trade in bigger, much bigger blocks than, um, than the stock market.
3: Uh, is it fair to say that the, the companies that are in this market are far more mature than the equity market in general or is that not in accurate? general
1: i think that's right i mean there's some companies that like are late to coming to the bond market for whatever reason it just depends on their kind of cost of capital in each asset class so if it's like you know a company where everyone's really excited about them in retail like apple i think they were slow to come to the bond market because they just didn't really need that as much like they had such good um kind of cost of funding in, in equities. Well, well, who
3: they, are the, they, who are the entities in these apple. transactions too like that's that's uh who are the think,
1: uh, lenders who, yeah. Yeah. So I mean you get a lot of enormous fund groups like uh Blackstone, BlackRock, um uh Pimco, um, Double Line, Guggenheim. It's it's giant pools of you know institutional money which can be pooled. Little people, my retirement account, um, yours maybe. I don't know, your sounds like it's in crypto. Um <laughs>
2: I think I oversold the crypto part. Oh, did you? Okay, okay, okay. Sorry,
1: you also. Um, And then, you know, endowments, foundations, high net worth individuals, um, sovereign wealth, all these things, everybody.
2: Well, I actually think what's important about you bringing up the different institutions is at the very beginning, you had mentioned why... Uh, equity, I mean, retails might be uh, less interested in bonds because they're not going to be able to buy these massive blocks, right? Yeah, yeah. All these pools of money you describe are the ones going out buying these massive blocks. Yeah. Additionally, as you mentioned in the book, institutional money, they need, you know, very well-defined cadence of when they're getting interest payments, when the money's right. being repaid, whereas retail is very happy to try to score a quick W exactly. in a week.
1: And, and that's an interesting point too, because like munis, you know, that market is often dominated by like retirement, like people who want that fixed income, that payment and like tax benefit of that, of the structure of those. So there is like there are little pockets that are kind of not what I'm not my kind of general, but like exactly the the fixed schedule of bonds is kind of a, a delightful feature that uh, works really well for a lot of people and institutions.
2: I, I want to mention also in the so- your book is about Bill Gross, uh, who basically ran probably the most important bond trader ever, as you mentioned. And uh, But in the 1970s, when he started uh, yeah. in the bond market, it was literally just coop. I mean, you had these bonds in the basements of companies. Can you explain that and how boring it yeah. was?
1: Yeah, exactly. So Bill Gross's first job uh, was as a credit analyst at a life insurance company. And as such, like we were saying, this like boring schedule of bond, you know, interest payments and repayment of principal, like that's a really nice thing for an insurance company to be able to line up against their liabilities, against the policies that they know with some certainty will pay out and kind of with some certainty when. So the job that Bill had was to just issue to say, okay, this company looks creditworthy. I love it. I think we should lend to it. This company looks bad. Let's not lend to it. But another part of that job, that's like the kind of interesting part where like you're doing actual analysis. But the other part was going into the basement in the vault and clipping, like taking literal scissors and and cutting off the little tiny coupon at the bottom of these bond documents to mail it in physically for an interest payment, which is just so incredibly quaint. I can't believe that that's like in, you know, a lifetime ago. Like, that's just really um, I love crafts. So I think that would have been really fun. But Bill didn't love it. He thought it was boring. (laughs) Uh, and and then sort of by virtue of finding it boring, helped to invent the modern you know trading in bonds.
2: And what does that look like now? And the transition that he created.
1: Yeah, it's enormous. So he st- he and some colleagues, because obviously you can't really trade by yourself, um, uh, started basically trading with each other a little bit here, a little bit there, and trying to create this market. And now it's massive. It's huge. You know, some bonds don't get traded that much, but there are a whole bunch of bonds that just are constantly you know like. GE bonds and like JP Morgan bonds, like all of these things just like are constantly uh, in rotation trading hands. And it's it's completely similar to the stock market, except that, you know, you do have these kind of uh, more up and tumble moments where if things come down to it in, say, like distressed debt investing, which PIMCO is not huge in distressed debt, but like that's a very fun area where it's literally football like everyone's trying to cram down everybody else and they're trying to like you know find a loophole to make sure that they get all the intellectual property blah 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 like it's so fun um but it's markedly i mean that's so staggeringly different from the world that bill gross entered right in the 1970s
0: and can i just add uh, to answer trung's original question uh, you're asking how jack and i had you know what our perception is of bonds and i just want to Please. add in mine because you know like you used the word boring there i'm just being very uh you know honest in my perception of it from the outside without knowing much right if we've you know i, I studied business i worked in i did an internship at city in like the 2000s when i was a kid and I, I remember learning about it and i was like oh this is cool and then eventually you do like a <laughs> 60 40 you know you learn Uh-oh. about the 60 40 portfolio um and you know i had my retirement account was 60/40 for a long time until maybe nice. in the last like five years until I started learning a little bit more and changed my risk profile. Uh, Wait, so, what yeah, is that's, it now? Oh well, it's probably 60/40 <laughs> like,
1: crypto. Well,
0: it's it's you're probably close to that, but no, it's um no, it's it's definitely 60/40 broke. But uh, yeah, so we've got like uh, probably 90 percent plus equities to be fair, but like pretty oh. d- you know uh, across the world, and then no, actually it's probably 80/20 crypto. So 20 is the crypto probably which and is you actually you actually well, yeah, bonds I,
1: are, I have I, zero no, bonds. Oh I think God. I have less than
0: 5% bonds. I have probably less than 5% bonds. I've Offended I plan to, on behalf of the bond market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, probably would ultimately go up in like a front or something as I get older. I, uh, I use that sometimes as well. But um, the question I kind of had about this was around kind of the perception of it. And you talked about, um, you know, equities are a little bit sexier. We hear about them a little bit more. We've also got the Robinhood traders and mm-hmm. the meme stocks or the stonks. Do you feel like the the meme or the narrative of bonds needs a bit of an overhaul uh, maybe your book is a part of that but i'm curious if you think that might um be a good or a bad thing
1: yeah it's a it's a really good question if it's a good or a bad thing and i'm not completely sure i mean if you have the time to devote two stonks and you're like on wall street bets and you're obviously like sophisticated enough right like you're doing the research you're actually like you're in it like i don't think that there's any distinction in like quality of work between wall street bets and like an actual buy side or sell side institution. No offense to anyone at all. Like, I just think that like, you look at the work that some of the people on there are doing and like, you, you know, that's good. So I think like, yeah, the, the, That like revolution, quote, close quote. I feel like did kind of open the like possibilities for playing it. I mean, if you can foment a short squeeze, you can play in bonds. Like, why not? You know, there are definitely, and like in distressed investing in particular, it's not. It's like not dissimilar to like penny stock investing, right? Where you can get a kind of foothold. And if you can agitate well enough or, or kind of like align yourself with other investors, like, yeah, you you're in the game. So it's not necessarily the case that, you you know, this is like the idea of buying something for pennies on the dollar. If there's a bond trading like 90% off, why not like get in there? Now, the that's obviously risky. So I'm not saying that this is investment advice. This not is the right place to be actually. for this. But,
0: You're but on the I, right podcast. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> but I do think that they're the you know the old idea of like retail doesn't know what they're doing, and you know we cycle out when retail cycles in. I just don't think that applies anymore. I think the game has changed.
2: You actually know what's an interesting point is in your book you talk about how Pimco, uh, this large uh, asset manager that Bill Gross ran. When they try to get into equities, yeah. they had all these misperceptions themselves, I right? Know. So, yeah. uh, the one I do remember, I'd love for you to explain because I'm probably going to butcher it. Was a uh, they were trying to get quote unquote better execution on the equity markets, but equity yes. market is basically perfect, right? Could you explain <laughs> that?
1: Yeah, so the bond market is like, has been, and I think this is changing to some extent, but has been much less transparent, has been a lot more opaque in its dealings. So, you know, you have the Bloomberg terminal and like you can see some things there, but you generally, there's a lot of like requests for quote kind of, um, you know, you send out, a request to your you know to your wall street dealer and you say hey i'm looking for this and it comes back to you and it's not as transparent and immediate and just like sitting there as the stock market so I think the thing that that I heard here that you're citing is, you know, you have this bond shop, this like very institutionally bond oriented shop where everyone is used to the bond market and also used to be very used to being really kind of hard on Wall Street coverage. Like that's a big part of their kind of brand and the way that they conduct themselves. And so the stock guys are out there trying to like, you know, trade stocks and somebody comes to one of them and is like, hey man, you need to get better execution. Like this bid offer is too wide. And they're like, that's not a bid offer. That's a commission. Like, that's not, we don't, you're not even speaking my language. Like this is you're just like speaking to me in French and I'm in Germany. Like, I don't know what to tell you. So it's, it is like that institutional bearing and like stance was really, I think hard to change.
2: And and they were never, they were never super successful when they tried to transition equities. Right. No, it just okay. didn't
1: really work out. Yeah. A couple of times.
2: All right. So uh, just a follow-up then uh, on bill, because we haven't talked about bill yet. And, uh, I don't think uh i mean i didn't know a ton about bill gross uh, before getting into your book um he's obviously super successful uh True. with a couple billy but uh, <laughs> so he the, the first question i want to ask was his motivation to do what he did uh, was driven in large part by fame is this mm-hmm. correct do you know any other investor that went to the lengths he did to become famous and first of all to, to address the fame part like he literally wanted to be famous
1: yeah i think he's Uh, kind of unique in that sense. I think uh, his orientation of like just fame is unusual. And I think that that, you know, you see that in the way that he conducted himself and in like the thirst throughout his career <laughs> but I also think, yeah it was it was thirsty and you know proto influencer right like we didn't have that many especially in the bond market like yes there was like peter lynch in the stock market and some others but you know he was the face of the bond market for so long because they just didn't do it the same way and i think jeffrey gunlock kind of falls in a similar like i don't he the the legend of jeffrey is that he watched lifestyles of the rich and famous when he was like you know sitting on his floor eating a pizza off of you know bunch of cardboard boxes. And he was like, why am I, wait, why am I doing this? Like, why don't I just get rich? So he, I think his path was not just for fame, but like he was watching Lifestyles the Rich and Famous, like rich and famous. I think his is more seeking influence and power. But um, the same idea of like, I, this is my goal, this is my like big headline, I wanna be this this kind of like newsmaker. Um, but I don't think it was as purely, fa- I mean, Bill is unusual in that, I think.
2: And you've spent hundreds of hours of time with him.
1: Yeah, a lot of time with him, yeah.
2: So over seven years researching this book, uh, I've heard rumors that they tried to pay you $10 million not to publish.
1: I don't know where you heard that, just kidding, it's in my book. <laughs> Yes, I can confirm that I heard that rumor. It is not true. No one offered me any dollars to not write the book. I did that by myself for seven years.
2: Okay. Okay. So, uh, well, actually, I I, I heard you mention a number of, if you were to multiply the hours that you put into this book, what was the hourly wage? Oh my God.
1: I think (laughs) I was paying myself, like, this is not a rate that I would accept. I want to make clear, but if I paid myself, like, $60 $60 an hour. And I haven't updated this. I don't remember when I like drew the line and I don't remember like my exact, I'd have to go find my little sheet, but yeah, if I paid myself $60 an hour and included all the various costs, and I can't remember if I included my travel expenses <laughs> like hotels, it, this book cost me $1.6 million.
2: Oh my goodness. People buy this book.
1: Yeah. Please help <laughs> me recoup. This is a GoFundMe.
0: <laughs> um, do you guys have any more questions on the bond markets? No, I mean, good transition. I think we were going to talk about, um, well, we'll get to the substack kind of independent journalism stuff a little bit later, but that relates to your $60 an hour anecdote there. Um, I think Jack was going to ask you a little bit more about crypto. um, Please. Well, we actually
2: found a tweet, Mary. Uh, Uh uh, That usually sounds bad, but- So this is you in 2013. So you knew about Bitcoin Um, at least in 2013. So the question is, what price did you buy and why are you not retired right now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I had this thing that, you know, so journalists can't invest, right? We're not supposed to like buy stocks or whatever. And I think I thought that Bitcoin fell under that kind of umbrella. You were at
2: Bloomberg at the time. Is that right? Yeah.
1: And the rules okay. are pretty strict and with good reason, right? Like you don't want to be like, hey, buy Citibank. Like, oh, there's a good bank. And then like you own it and then you like, we obviously don't want that. Um However, I did own a lot of dollars relative to my holdings of Bitcoin. So it's like a little confusing where I was making an implicit bet without thinking about it. Um, And like, this is something that I think is hard to capture in journalism rules. Um, So I'm going to look up my crypto holdings right here live on this show. (laughs) Um, You're going to be so proud of me. Uh, Did you think
2: about buying Bitcoin though in 2013?
1: I mean, yeah, like, I'm like, I get it. I like this. This, like, this makes sense to, like, yes, I love an alt thing. Let's do this. But I didn't do it because of journalism ethics. Okay. No, I'm happy. Okay. I'm fine. Um, my crypto balance is if $4. If Nancy Pelosi
0: can buy stocks, I think we should all be allowed to. <laughs> uh, <so. laughs> fair enough.
1: <laughs> so my crypto balance at this moment is $4.25. Uh, I can tell you I'm down 49.4%. 49.94%. Yeah, was this so, one those, uh, Hold I kind of lost hold a
3: cup on. of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: lost a cup of. Co- um, when did I buy? You know, part of why I so I put in like five dollars in May, which was a great time, a great time to buy. So I might. Um, I was averaging my dollar cost down. Um, no, it's a <laughs> and I bought a little bit of Ethereum. When did I buy my Ethereum?
2: You got two uh, yeah, two big ones. Yeah. June-
1: yeah. <laughs> So I feel like I'm pretty good at market timing is what I've learned. Um, <laughs> and I, I did this in part, like, obviously, like my cup of coffee, I miss it. But also I wanted to like not be sad or happy when it's going up a lot or down a lot. Like, I didn't want to feel like, oh, haha those jerks or oh, haha Like, I didn't want to like feel one way or the other and not owning any made me kind of feel one way or the other and owning this much
0: if it. anyone's only listening trung is um nodding his head <laughs>
2: i know i know <laughs> a lot of mary i know a lot of friends that uh-huh. crypto bitcoin specifically just because they don't want to hear from their other friends when that thing hits a million they right. just cannot stand it's
0: just a hedge no, right yeah, it's just, just
2: it's an emotional it's, hedge it's, that's exactly right, right. be along head. for the ride right. exactly. yeah, yeah. at a super bowl party in 10 years bitcoin's yeah. at 2 million and your buddy's yeah. no. laughing you're like no i'm in
1: right buy some so that you can have friends that's exactly you can tolerate parties i think that's right
2: so you've known for at least for a decade about it have you did you i mean you were primarily a credit reporter at a, a bloomberg in your career did you cover crypto a lot at all and what i mean what is your general interest in crypto today
1: i mean my general interest is pretty high we try to do crypto stories periodically at planet money but it's this it's there's this weird phenomenon where because there's such a chasm between like a like a divide between the island of like finance and traditional economics and stuff and crypto like sometimes what happens is you like get over to the crypto island as it were not literally but just like the like world and everyone's like kind of frothing at the mouth and like using jargon that's entirely invented for an extremely normal concept that we already had a word for and you're like why are you why are you Okay. And like, I feel like especially NFTs is a great example where it's actually quite simple and like, I'm not confused, but everyone's like, it's so complicated. And you're like, it's okay. Like, calm down. So like the frothing at the mouth element makes it really hard to fact check and makes it really hard to like distill the story in quite the right way. And then even if you do a story, everyone loses their mind because you didn't say the exact thing that they need you to say about crypto in whatever way, which is like the environmental cost, or this is, you know, uh, fraud or like any of these things. So it's just like a bit um, annoying to do to do so like it's calmed down a little bit i think but it is it's just like a bit the 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 barrier to entry um there's just a high friction to doing a show about it unfortunately well, and previously tell us about
0: didn't... It. <laughs> no, no. yeah you well, would know. Uh, yeah. i don't know if you saw it but we had michael saylor uh yes. on the podcast a few weeks ago big
2: splash and we're still
0: getting caught i, I keep getting <laughs> this i had to In my email, I had to create a new label just to filter them out into a new tab because there were all these comments from people who were like, I search every day For Michael Saylor videos, and you guys are complete idiots or something Mm -hmm. like that. So you kind of—it's unfortunate
1: that yeah, yeah. No, it's like every which way.
2: As a Planet Money professional and you know a reporter extraordinaire, just want to let you know if you ever have Michael Saylor on, you just got to ask one question. He can talk for two hours. So
0: (laughs) just future reference. Well, that was our (laughs) favorite comment. Thank
2: you so much. Our our favorite
0: (laughs) comment was, uh, "You don't need three people to interview Michael Saylor. He (laughs) can interview himself." (laughs) That (laughs) is is wonderful. Yeah. I do feel
1: like that's the, you know, as I've gotten more experienced as a journalist, I've gotten less patient and I love that in particular because I often feel like people have a play button somewhere and you just got to find that. Like I sit down and I'm like, okay, go like, that's not a good question. You need that. You do (laughs) like, but it's nice to know that there, that Michael Saylor can just boop do it himself
2: two hours <laughs> well jack i think you had. i think jack was uh, noodling when you're talking about the inscrutability of crypto for some people and why mm-hmm. it might not be the easiest uh, topic for i guess planet money how, how would you I mean, Planet money is pretty mainstream we're yeah. very
1: smart i just yeah. want to say but you're extremely
2: mainstream we no, just get screwed for you is a for the audience so Thank what do you, you think okay yeah that's what i mean jack thoughts
3: well I was, I'm, I think Bilal asked along the lines of the question, I was going to ask like the, um, like how difficult it becomes to talk about something when you have to like something that's emergent versus something that's been around for decades. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a, it's a really difficult thing to have an open conversation about this stuff without it getting religious, which is what yes. has happened in a number of our conversations and even like when you when you brought up the example of the bonds being clipped by hand decades ago i think one of the things that people maybe confuse about crypto or the way i see it is there are assets that double as infrastructure in many ways so like people talk about this as just a purely speculative vehicle i put 10 dollars in i'm going to get 10,000 dollars out in 3 or 4 years versus this like entire ecosystem which i think you need to like play around in, lose a bit of money, try and build something in to have like any kind of empathy for the potential of it. If that makes sense. Like the, I understand completely from the outside, why it just looks like absolute, like madness and like, Yeah. yeah, like the way people talk about it and, uh, try and justify their involvement in it. It's a really difficult thing to, uh, to shed any light on. And I imagine it gets even more difficult when you have a, like a massive audience of people that are not opting in for that specifically, and maybe not like entering with an open mind in that sense. So my long winded way of asking, like in the tradi- like behind the, the people that you talk to within your profession, is there like consensus on like what crypto is good for versus what, you don't feel it's uh, like, I guess it, this is a use case question. Are there use cases yeah. that you're interested in versus like things that you think are purely speculative nonsense?
1: I think there are definitely, I mean, obviously there are a lot of speculative nonsense ones, but one thing that I th- I think there is, there are use cases for sure. One that I think is like, should be like near term immediate is like, why is the real estate industry so silly? Like, why are we just doing paper like I have to go and like sit in an office for a half a day, like this, what century is it? So that's an obvious use case where you can like just throw all that on the blockchain or should be able to just throw all that on the, bl- and like once there's kind of critical mass, it'll be fast, right? But there is, it's a hurdle to get there because there's so much like, I don't know, technical difficulty and like regulatory, you know, obstacles on purpose, which is good, but, you know, making that process Reducing that friction and reducing the like in-personness of it and the like like replicating that trust with um the crypto side of things, I think is super achievable and makes a lot of sense. And that's true. Also, I think, like global banking is less robust than I think I thought it was. I think like doing, we did an episode on the mistaken payment from Citigroup to hedge funds and other investors, where they just accidentally bloop checked the wrong box and sent $900 million to the wrong exact wrong people the, or the right people, depending on who you ask. And they, they literally, it's just like a very antiquated system. And part of the knock on, you know, why this, the reason why this happened was people said because Citigroup had these antiquated systems and they hadn't invested in like new technologies, da, 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 da. And, you know, trying to get like a letter from my bank to get to like a freelance payment for something is so hard just to get an, op- like to receive money for work that I already did. So hard. That's so silly. All of that feels like, you know, I, I think like if you're trying to like another a little, little very micro example, go to dinner with someone in another country and try to split the bill. Like would what do you do? If you don't have cash, good luck. Like, I, I think I still owe someone in South Africa money. So like I just, there's so many little things that like, I just assumed that like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, that they had this under control. And I think I was being optimistic and that's a lot of room for something like crypto to come in and just kind of replicate our systems, but faster and better and hopefully with less of an environmental footprint, okay? Sorry.
2: We're clipping that out. That part of that is getting edited. (laughs) The caveat is getting edited. Thank you for the rest of the answer.
0: We'll save that for the FUD segment. (laughs) um, Anything else on crypto guys, uh, before we move on to our next topic? uh,
2: Has Planet Money done uh, a big crypto story?
1: Okay, we did an NFT one. We did one about um, helium, and we did one about the crypto queen, who's now on the FBI's top ten most wanted list. Congratulations to her, Queen. Nice. Lean in. I'm sorry, she scammed a lot of people, very bad. I don't mean that. Do not um, lean in. Unle- she did. She did wrong things. Lean out, lean out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we lean know out.
0: the name of your second book. It looks <laughs> very similar to no, the No, there back, already but is the a book. And I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not like
1: that's Wait, can you a te- trap. can you
0: tease book number
2: two?
1: No, it's a nap. I'm taking a nap. Okay, okay, okay. We're not <laughs> yeah, teasing. Yeah, no, but... I, uh, I'm still, I'm taking, uh, uh, you know, if you have good ideas, I'm all ears, but it is not going to be about Citadel, okay? Okay, okay. It's not uh, about Citadel. Sorry. I know you wouldn't suggest that, but a lot of people have.
2: We're bleeping, we're bleeping that part out too. Yeah, Great well, yeah, yeah. question on use cases is, how could crypto potentially change the bond market?
1: Well, the bond market has struggled to become, you know, digitized, I guess, and like automatic and like replicate, like the liquidity of the stock market is harder to achieve in the bond market for a lot of reasons. Like bonds are a bit, you know, more specific. They aren't a standardized single contract. They're a bunch of different nodes along a a curve, et cetera. So, okay, that's true. But also the uh, opacity has helped preserve profitability for, uh, to some extent for uh, banks and traders. So I think that there's, uh, that reluctance is um, intentional. So if there's a transition towards more electronic trading, like that means lowered costs, that means good things for end users like that. I mean, yeah, that that could be one. Mm.
2: I like that.
0: Um, I'll tell them. I'll call well, them. That's like all of them? Those are three <laughs> yeah. of them?
1: We'll count those yeah. three. I mean, basically, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great um, so yeah to switch gears a little bit I know you just talked about your first book which took seven years you're obviously working uh, for NPR on Planet Money you've written yes. for Bloomberg Financial Times Barons writers I'm sure many others as well so you're a legitimate real Journalist, right? I know we always joke that Trunk doesn't you. call himself a journalist. He's like a lower I, case. I am
2: not a journalist. I, you are a proper like. Let's hit multiple sources, journalist. I'm like, yo, what is the funniest take <laughs> I can <laughs> have on this? How yeah, many jokes yeah. can I put in here? What so you're uh, the I meme of the that. week. Yeah, That's you're capital fun. J. Uh, you're a capital G journalist. So blog, please way. continue.
0: But yeah. And, and so, as you know, over the last few years, there's been a lot of people going direct to their audience, um, whether that is like a slow transition or just quitting and, and writing directly on Substack or something like that. Um, I know you also have a Substack as well. But the question we kind of all had is, what would it take for you to go full time solo? And is that even appealing to you? Uh, would you want to even do that?
1: Um, I love this question. I think it's it's such a compliment first of all, because the only way you go solo is if you're doing work that people will pay for, which is like means that people like it. That's wonderful. So just even to like have that kind of brand and like ability to do it, I think is like so wonderful and truly like necessary. I feel like the washout in journalism in the industry is obviously really painful for me because my friends, you know, are making less money and less and me, you know, we're doing worse than we could have or would have um, in other other times. But it's also, I think, deleterious to democracy. I am very hopelessly biased on this, but I think that like leaving it just to private enterprises to like write about themselves and have like entrepreneurs only be our kind of beacons or at government, like those are dangerous. That's not ideal. But, you know, I'm a journalist, I I would say that. I think two things. I learned that I really love having a team Like I really love having a team working on this book alone. I was like, Hey, Hey, you want to talk about, does anyone want to talk about? Oh, I'm just, it's just literally just, and I just like got lonely and my ideas get so much better when I talk to other people and get feedback. Like, I don't even know if my brain works alone, you know? So like, I remember my first interview for planet money was while I was working on the book actually for the indicator job that ended up being Cardiff Garcia's, which was the correct choice. But, um, I was, you know, pitching ideas and they were like, well, what about this? What about that? Like, this idea isn't fully baked. What about that? And I was like, oh my God, like, it was so fun for me. And they were like, wow, you take feedback really well. And I was like, no, 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 like more, like, please bring it on. Because I was so like desperate for any kind of like intellectual engagement. So that's one thing. I just struggle to put my best work out by myself. But also like you're saying, journalism versus takes, I... (sighs) investigative journalism in particular requires so much work with so little yield. Like you can feed the machine with like little Q and A's or whatever, but to do a big, deep investigation where you actually hold feet to the fire, hold people accountable for their actions and power to account that requires not only an immense dedication of resources in terms of energy, time, phone calls, tracking people down, getting coffee with people like so much of that. But then on the publication side, you're going to get messed with like the like powerful people are powerful they're going to try to sue you they're going to accuse you of things they're going to smear you they're going to whatever and doing all that alone is i think terrifying i mean you can't to a large extent like i'm not a billionaire i can't just have spurious lawsuits thrown at me like i have to feed my family so i think like i would love i i love that there's like new models and we're experimenting with new things but you know Uh, the kind of journalism that that I really value and that I think is so important both requires a team of like a lawyer behind you saying you can say this don't say it that way you don't have the receipts for this you know like you or an editor saying those same things you know and also just the like I love camaraderie I just really love it it's really important to me
2: that was actually the because I'm a huge I'm pretty big skeptic of even though I write for Bloomberg like I'm I'm like Pretty. I'm definitely on the other side of that trade of where like, I think everybody should go solo. And like, I think a lot of institutions have just, I think it's an argument they've burnt their credibility, right? Like how mm-hmm. many times have these organizations, like we don't even have to name them, done something over the past decade or two decades where it's just like, wow, you've have all this social and like political capital, and you literally just burnt to the ground, right? Yeah. Um, but to your point, somebody has to do investigative journalism and- right? I mean, like, how much money does ProPublica get? Like, probably not a lot, right? Not a lot. And, and PR is fully uh, listener supported. Is
1: that right? Basically, almost, yeah. Okay. I think we do, we have like some, you know, corporate sponsors- sponsorship stuff and like a little teeny weeny bit from the government that everyone thinks is a lot of bit.
2: That's a good yeah. argument, Ashley. The investigative yeah, journalism. Right. Jack, I need a rebuttal there, man. Not a rebuttal, but <laughs> no, I love I your I, don't have on that. I have a
3: rebuttal. I have like a follow up question on um, just over the course of your career. How has the kind of half life of a story changed? Because I remember reading this maybe five six years ago, where obviously if you're investing months years into researching something and you drop this yeah. story, and then you know maybe 2016 was the huge inflection point, but like you have 24 hours of attention or less in a lot Literally. of cases. So I'd just be curious to hear you talk about that.
1: No, that's so true. And like, there's some cases where the impact isn't like a a fervor, isn't like everyone freaking out at once, but like a legislation changes or whatever, you know, like there can be a a ripple effect um, that isn't necessarily like viral attention. Um, but I think you're right. Like it is, you know, I think one of the things that what, what you said reminded me of is the in the kind of election cycle of 2016, they did deep investigative pieces on Trump and then a drip, drip, drip on Hillary. And I regret mentioning those names. I would normally rather die than say them. But like, I think, <laughs> sorry, I don't do political reporting on purpose. Um, but like that is a, a disconnect, right? Where if you have this like drip, 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 that's what people are hearing. That's what they remember. It's like a much stronger brand than the like, oh, one big hit investigative, whatever, here's a thing we learned and everyone pays one day's worth of attention to it. And and that's it. Like, I think you're right that the ability to have people retain the information is it's it's really hard, but that's kind of the beauty of both podcasting, as I'm sure you've encountered is people being in someone's ear, as opposed to being read on a screen. I think the retention is much better and people receive information more happily nicely like it's a much more intimate relationship and people trust you more because I think you're communicating more information through your voice and people just naturally like you're, you're like bonding a little bit more um but that like yeah I think the the delivery mechanism is one thing the pace is another thing my career like I've had the luxury of being able to zoom out and like the half life of my stories, I think, is longer because they are 20 minute podcasts now, as opposed to like 300 word stories about the um, number of basis points that AT&T credit default swaps <laughs> widened or narrowed. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I'm going to be
2: doing all those <laughs> jobs anyway. So you you made the right pivot.
1: Thank you. It's been I mean, it's a great show and it's a luxury. It's a real luxury to be able to have time to dig in because not the structure of the industry is like everyone's still chasing that daily viral
2: how, but, uh, so I had a quick question Was about obviously Planet Money is super highly produced, right? So how long uh-huh. is it? How many hours does it take to do 20 minutes?
1: A billion. Um, it <laughs> takes a lot of work. Like I remember talking to someone who has a podcast and he was like, how big is your team? And I was like, I don't know, 20 at the time. And he was like, what? Oh my God, that's so bad. But we do. We work like we produce it so, so heavily. And like, we're really hard on ourselves, like on purpose. because so how we many want people for 20 be- minutes? Oh God, people hours. Okay. So if there's two hosts, an editor and a producer per show, sometimes two producers, um, I don't, it's so impossible because it depends. Like I just did a show called Recession Referees that took six days from interview to publication, which is like good. That's like, you know, it was a clean show. It's easy to like understand what I was trying to achieve. Um, You know, the producer helped me book the things. Like she just like nailed everything. So, you know, that was, that was fine. That was a, a light lift. But other shows require a lot more conceptual work and structuring and like okay this part is a tangent now because we changed the frame it's it's kind of you know it can take months it can take literally right. months of almost full time
2: do you do you do these shows with the intention of it i want this because i know npr Plan mine does a ton of their old classics right they bring episodes back from 10 years ago is the idea yeah, mine, yeah. i want this to be evergreen for 10 That's 20 it. 30 years
1: yeah we don't consider ourselves like a news chasey show we want to be on the news in the sense that like if there's something in the news like are we in a recession we're a really good place to understand, like the the deeper, like the systems that that make that question answerable. Like there are machinations and history and like think like people and and committees and things that come to bear that you don't really have time to get into in a three minute news story. You can do some of it, but not a lot of it. And like, yes, we want our shows to kind of stand alone, like impervious to the winds of whatever news is happening. Like it'll be relevant again in you know two point five years when we have another recession. <laughs>
2: Well, I think this recession episode is a perfect example because I'd love for you to actually walk through the episode. I listened to it yesterday. Uh, I don't know it's if so uh, Jack you. or Bilal had a chance, but...
0: No, I listened to it as well, yeah. It's yeah, it's
2: good. It's, because it's definitely something along the lines of uh, our previous questions of institutional power and reputation versus, mm-hmm. you know, this groundswell of people that can quote-unquote do themselves. Because we've joked about it in our group chats. We're like, look at these, like literally we're like look at these clowns like they can't admit it's a recession but uh and that's kind of the meme that was running around Fintwit, right but yeah. then actually when you listen to your podcast exactly to your point there's actually a lot more to it than hey what is the technical definition of recession right i wonder right. if you could walk through that and uh kind of explain how it actually is defined
1: happy to i love this one so Yeah, you kind of the like mainstream colloquial definition of a recession is two negative quarters of GDP consecutively. And that is like nice and automatic and you can get it. You understand. But it's not the like actual definition, according to the committee that calls it. So the committee is this National Bureau of Economic Research Business Cycle Dating Committee is their name. But it's this group of eight economists that they like, you know, or Harvard and Stanford professors who care not at all about what's going on today, tomorrow. They are not on FinTwit. They do not pay attention to that stuff. <laughs> they don't know what a meme is. Yeah, they're missing really fire memes, but they don't want to know about it. Like they are they gather only when there's a sign of recession, beginning or ending, like when they would need to say, you know, the day that the the economic conditions changed. And that basically is because they they literally have no no reason to care about the present their work is entirely to inform future research you know the the NBER was created by kind of polar opposite um political opponents i don't want to call them opponents that's rude but they like came together to be like we need to have a foundation a common language to speak in order to be able to like know anything like to make progress on knowing anything at all like what causes a recession what causes a boom like if we want to be able to foment economic growth how do we do that we need to be able to say what happened in the past so we can try to replicate successful things in the future so it is the kind of idea of you know anything could happen today and they're just like they literally don't care that this committee is not going to pay attention they're only going to um take their extreme time to make the right choice to say this This was indeed a recession. It started X, it ended Y, um, and they're just in no hurry.
2: And that's why when people are saying, hey, nobody, they're not going out and
1: they're not going to slap so like, a label on. Yeah. yeah today. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And you know, GDP gets revised, but I almost felt bad like doing this show because I was like, don't look at them. Let them be like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like to some extent, I don't want to, like, I feel like the minute was we like turn back? our attention to no, it was, it was actually really well received. Cause I think it, it is a true question. It's like an actual, and like, I love doing a show that actually answers a genuine question, um, that I have or that listeners have. Um, and this was definitely that where people were like, Oh, Oh, well, thanks.
2: This is uh this is actually to the this is what the MB uh, economists are missing. So mm, this mm. is every time there's a recession somebody does this tweet. So for the listeners it's uh, it's only recession if it's from the recession region of France. Otherwise it's a sparkling downturn. But this is the best part of this meme.
1: Every yeah, if single I had a dime idiot for internet every does it. <laughs> we wouldn't have a recession. I mean this is printing money if we had a dime for every time someone tweets. This. Exactly, right? We, this is the we MMT of memes. Yeah
0: but well, uh Ma- no i love that I-, I was gonna ask you we were talking about um we started talking about podcast there so i'm just curious to get your take because you you described a 300 word piece to yeah. tw- having all this you know time with with 20 minutes and um and that is a huge difference right but For me, like I love doing long, long form. I have another podcast called Creator Lab and I do up to two hour interviews with people. So uh, I'm curious to hear from your point of view as someone who's been doing podcasting for a long time, um, Mm -hmm. similar to what I said earlier around like what you would do kind of differently. Like if obviously Planet Money is one of the biggest podcasts around, it's an amazing show. Um, But if you had all the support and you want and you had no restrictions whether that was time or the style tone or anything like that uh, is what would you do differently are there different types of topics you'd prefer to cover um kind of like a magic one question what you would love to do on the podcast side
1: i love that i mean i think there's a real value to chat pods like we don't really do them a lot at planet money the indicator our sibling podcast does some um but it is still a narrative structure and like I really like that. We put a lot of muscle into it, as I said, but um, but a freewheeling chat is lovely too. And you have to really trust the host, though, right? Like you have to know that they're not going to waste your time, that they're not going to like go yapping about something that's like they don't know anything. You know, it's it's going to be accretive, and like that two-hour chat will get into those nuances and like do like have re- like de- demonstrate respect for the listener's time by communicating information. And that's all I think. You know, I think we could do more. We're doing a little bit of that with Planet Money Plus. Accidentally, this is an advertisement. I apologize. Um, we one are looking for
3: sponsors, so uh... <laughs> I'll
0: pass yeah. that
1: along. Um, but I think, like you know, there's a lot of room for what we do in uh at Planet Money to do for tech. I think, I think there's like narrative podcasting about like, yeah, okay, Facebook did a thing, but like, why? Why? How did we get here? That that to me, and I'm so not a tech reporter that like. I'm sure there are many things that are sort of like acquired as one. There are a bunch of different types of podcasts that do kind of answer this, but for my exact brain, like I want planet tech personally, <laughs> where it's just like what we do and how we do it, but for technology. And like I did one with Kevin Roos um about algorithm recommendation. Um, and that was so fun and so edifying for me. And I had to like real quick learn machine learning, which was very fun and um challenging. <laughs> but that was like, you know, you gotta build new muscles and, and learn new things. So that would be one way. I guess like I don't know that I have an attention span for a longer narrative than we do. I really, you know, we do 25 minutes sometimes and I'm like, whoo, that was that's long. Like that's a lot of information. So um I might max out around there. But yeah.
0: That <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Go on, well, try and...
2: I, I, I'm just gonna add on to Bilal's question. I think what Bilal was asking is what do you think about Joe Rogan? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah.
1: You know, my cousin listens. Um, I don't that's so long. I thought
2: that yeah, is so four, long. I'll be honest, we we definitely hit those three to four hours. It, it just it is impressive, right? Wow. It's just
1: impressive to talk to somebody for four hours. But like to listen for four hours, like what are y'all doing? Are you X, going for five a X, five, five X, hour X. run? Like five are you doing that much? Come on. That's
0: <laughs> no, it's a it's a good question because I mean, is I, it
1: dishes? I listen over
0: over a long period of time, like so it's not like but in there's one so sitting, many.
2: Yeah,
1: they're, how, yeah, is it your whole true. life spent listening? <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> know, that's how have time to do your job? I don't get it.
0: It, it is a yeah, great question I, I though, because there are some people that listen to every <laughs> single episode. That's about ten hours a week. It's pretty. Do impressive. you
1: have like your productivity at your job? I probably listen more
0: than I probably listen more than ten hours of podcasts. So I might listen sometimes like. I've definitely listened ten hours in a day before, but not like Joe Rogan. Only like (laughs) if I'm out, if I'm traveling, obviously that's different. But like I I go for a long walk and I listen. A ten hour
1: walk. You're in very good shape. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, is it like
3: baseball? You know, if you're a baseball fan, don't you spend like thirty five hours a week watching baseball? That's That's the
0: point. Right
3: there we go. Could Could be listening to Joe Rogan Rogan talking about apes. And I was like. While yeah, they're watching. playing tomorrow and the day after and the day after and they're gonna be this long.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Joe Rogan is the new baseball potentially. That's it. There that you could heard be. it here first.
1: Maybe maybe that's a good trade.
0: Well the, the the only thing I was gonna say, Mary, the other thing is to me I never compare it to like listening to programs or watching programs. It's more like when we go for dinner or mm-hmm. drinks with friends. We, we talk to them for three, four hours all the time. And that conversational style is what I'm listening to when I it's in my ear and I'm walking. So it's, it's different. with
1: that. You're like, I'm yeah. hanging out with my friend, Joe Rogan. <laughs>
0: yeah, basically, I talk yeah. back
1: all the time. <laughs> you can't hear, but I he knows. I definitely do in
0: my head. Exactly. It's a
2: parasocial relationship. You know how powerful what... that is. You know it's I powerful. Guess.
1: I like This is part of the reason why I can't listen to a lot of chat pods because i obviously am subject to the same parasocial bonding that we all are but then i'm like no i want to meet these people at a party and i want to act normal when that happens fair enough fair enough that's that's one of my big obstacles i like had to stop listening to do two dope queens because i was like what if i meet jessica williams at a party
2: was that was that actually a reason not to to stop listening you're like i like literally stopped listening
1: just in case (laughs) i could what happened
0: when you met what happened when you met her did it, was and it exactly as you thought? It
1: hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I'm still waiting. <laughs> We're gonna Spend speak it years. into existence. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Hey, we gotta get you on Joe Rogan. So you can yes. get the next step. That's true. He Appreciate was, you. He'd Thank love you. He loved that bonk, bonking yeah. chat. Um, I know we've only got a couple minutes left, um, but I know you, I think you had a question for us as well. Yeah. You get to ask us the last one.
1: Thank you. It's an honor. Um, first time, you know, first time caller. Um, how do you manage your information flow given, I mean, now I'm terrified because you listen to 10 hours of podcasts a day and I don't understand. So I maybe we're just on different um, levels of consumption ability or capacity, but like how there's a fire hose. How do you manage the fire hose of information? How do you monitor? Like, this is cresting. This is happening. Like TikTok's the number one music platform That Like, how do you know? My um, I,
2: will, I will answer this. Um, yeah. I definitely took myself off that treadmill. So I used to write for mm. a daily, a tech newsletter called the hustle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to very much be a, probably like when you were a beat reporter for Bloomberg and uh, by the end of my I, I don't, I don't want to be in the news cycle anymore. It's just yeah. it's not fun. It's <laughs> yeah. like, and, and it's, it's everything you mentioned, like these trends, mm-hmm. the ones that are actually important or like this NBER stuff, it's the stuff that you can look back three, four years. It's still relevant. So yeah. I've, very intentionally taking myself out of that hey what's quote-unquote trending having said that i got a pretty sick information diet (laughs) it's a a, very
1: healthy i have it down to
2: like yeah i mean I've so all the major publication apps like WSJ, Bloomberg, uh, um, Financial Times, but like it's a, it's a routine at this point. I'm subscribed to like thirty newsletters. I just wake up, just kind of scroll through everything, and then have my uh, I know what Twitter accounts I'm looking at. Uh, mm-hmm. I know what uh, Reddit I'm going through. But yeah, it's a, at this point, it's not so much like I'm trying to stay on top of the cycle. It's like i just trying to find content you that can I can facts. meme.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, try, so you generally like enjoy doing it as well. So yeah, yeah. but try you're how harvesting. many hours. A day? Do you think that takes you just because it's not like a task? Like yeah, it's disgusting. I've, it's it's a it, lot. Is it like <laughs> is it like four hours or is it like I probably two assume hours?
2: yeah, four to five hours of content. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of us do similar to that, but it's like it is very like it is very like yeah. I know exactly what I'm doing
0: and you're because, skimming through a lot of it. Yeah, I'm and sure. I
2: refuse to do TikTok because I know that I would be addicted to it. So
1: I'm it's the the like cocaine. I don't want to.
0: Yeah. No, I do not. Don't exactly. Bring so that I hope me. that uh, the timing, the Wi-Fi timing, worked there. That I said it's the best was. Just just before you said it, it's like, okay. oh,
1: that's a weird coincidence.
0: That would be, a, yeah, so a bad that's me. Yeah, I
2: think uh, Jack and Bala have very different ones. Uh, um, Jack, well, Bala listens to 10 hours of podcast a day, but uh, right, that no,
1: can't play, be explained. Man. We don't know,
0: <laughs> Jack. Gun, after you, mate.
1: Oh, I think you're muted, brother.
3: I'm muted. Sorry, yeah, a lot of mine is uh, Twitter, unfortunately. No, it's right? Um, yeah, yeah, I get. We talk a lot about crypto on this podcast and NFTs was a big uh, thing last year. And uh, we actually referenced this uh, article, big uh, crypto commentator called Kobe wrote called trading the meta game Hmm. and like being in these markets that move so quickly and are so um, fickle, I guess. like Twitter is the only place where you can get information anywhere close to fast enough to Stay on top of that stuff. But I had the same moment that Trung did late last year. I was like, I have to get out of this. This is just a just nightmarish amount of uh, time and energy being spent on, you know, Mooncat692's <laughs> opinion.
0: That's well, a real account. That's, that's a, a real account. account. Yeah. we definitely reference referenced it, it on the like show Like exactly before.
1: that. Yeah. Well, okay. Mary, actually,
0: I'll,
2: I'll tell you the metagame because I, I, I want Jack to expand it because I think you'll appreciate this as a business reporter. It's like basically Kobe, who's kind of a very well-known crypto trader, had it was explaining how he was successful. He's like, okay, if if a, a coin like Dogecoin hits, right, mm-hmm. and his perception is then okay. I'm now looking the next level up is like. What are all the other dog coins that are in the space? Because the the meme of the dog as a coin is going to start spreading, and he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to find the next dog coin that will blow up. So that's the meta game that he's explaining. You're making right? him
0: sound very sophisticated. No, no,
2: he catches many of these type of waves, right? It's like, he'll know so what a type advice. of coin gets. <laughs> that is absolutely not investment <laughs> advice. But Jack was so deep in it last year, and we—if you go to our archives, we we have a number of interesting episodes. Uh, when he's getting into boarding, we want
0: Barry to lead. Jack is sitting in a house he paid for with, uh, with a few. Lord Lord Apes <laughs> that he talked about in episode three of the podcast, and I'm sure a lot, a lot of us know too. it's yeah. a massive running joke. Yeah, no, click that's click good. And,
1: but that's what I admire is that like y'all are good at like seeing these things come up and like no, I don't know. I I do my you know I monitor feeds too, but I just admire. I don't know. I feel like you're faster.
2: This, it's definitely much faster. I mean, Jack it's is a lot a shallower, level. though,
3: too. Like, you're, you're kind of just there is definitely mm, an a opposite benefit to, yeah. to like, burying yourself yeah, in something versus- and really understanding it. And yeah. I think the yeah, it can, it can catch up to you pretty quickly sometimes
1: <laughs> in the form of a whole house. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, but if there are good crypto shows that we should be doing at Planet Money, you have my number
0: that's that's true true. there are
3: there are there are like a hundred terrible takes for every one good take but there are some very very intelligent and well-spoken and highly articulate commentators (laughs) that you should speak to for sure yeah Um,
0: and lots of good yarns mary do you need to go right now because i know we're going a couple minutes over okay cool I'll cool. i'll just answer my one as well um i completely agree with what jack just said there like Like I'll just speak for myself. I know a good amount about like very little, and then there's (laughs) some most things in the world I know not much about. And so like the stuff I'm really interested in, I go deep. Like I'm sure all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the thing is like the I I read like a bunch of newsletters as well, um, and I pretty much stopped reading news for a long time, Mm -hmm. like for many years. The only news I get is like a little bit on Twitter, and I get like a couple. Um, you know, summary, five minute summaries in email form. So they kind of yeah. can keep me focused on like knowing what's happening in the world. And I can go into some of them if I need more. And once, I'll re- once in a while I read like The Economist. Um, but all the other stuff is really <laughs> One done. economist lasts. Yeah, exactly. And then there's like, um, like on the trend side specifically, there's like two or three newsletters that I've really enjoyed over the last few years that they pick out like topics or areas that are like emerging. And mm. they, go, they go deep for 40, 50 hours, and then they'll summarize it in 20 minutes. Um, I mean, Tr- Trunk used to work for The Hustle. They had one called Trends, which was actually pretty good at this. And there's another one by Drew, uh, who does trends.vc. He does a really good job of summarizing stuff like that. But it's very specific to like internet and tech. Mm. And then on, um, this is something I was kind of against for a long time, but this idea of like, keeping lots of notes. Like I realized oh. in my final year of college, that I basically never wrote notes for for score. I would just like learn, and then I would like go into exam and get like a good grade, but not the best. And in my final year, I realized well, I should have been writing notes all along. And uh, this is not rocket science, but that was I love something. That. I and You're like, So whoa. now, yeah, and it's, I hate this phrase, but it actually works. There's a guy who was on my podcast called Tiago. Forte, he has this concept of the second brain, which is is like overkill for most people. But the, but I've actually implemented some of the stuff he um, kind of writes and teaches, and specifically for audio, I have an app called Snipped, um, and basically now when I'm listening to it, I can like press my AirPod three times and it keeps markers. So like when I was listening to your podcast in the morning, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask her about that. Let me save that. So I press it and then the transcript goes into my Evernote. So by the time I go back, I can like search for it. And like, I don't have to re-listen to the whole 20 minute episode again. So there's like stuff like that over time that's helped me kind of stay on top of it as well.
2: Mary, do you have a crazy process like that? Do you have
1: a process like that? (laughs) No, I mean, I did a media diet thing for why is this interesting? And um, it was uh, humiliating. Because I was like, I mean, most of my news gathering is Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I did like, I check, you know, ft.com and like WSA.com. I like, I have my little, you know, threads and I like stay on top of things in in that way too. But like, that's exactly like, I feel like, no, I don't take enough notes. I haven't been like doing an idea board of like what's going on. I feel like that's actually like the haptic engagement with it maybe is what um, is a really nice well, note. I'm going to take that. Snip. Snip. snip,
0: there you go. And there I you. hate that people write send to Readwise on Twitter, but genuinely, I've used it, and it like yeah. I read stuff from uh, that I highlighted a year ago, and I'm like, oh, that was quite an interesting <laughs> thing that I that I really yeah. you're now remember. Our feed, dude. Exactly. Because
1: yeah. I've been um, saving to bookmark, and then I never look at it again. I just bookmark it and never
2: Screenshots. You must have millions of screenshots. <laughs> so <laughs> many screenshots.
1: Yes, I'm gonna look at them one day. Yeah, on a plane, maybe.
2: Exactly. For your next yeah. book. Unnamed yeah. next book.
1: hmm hmm That's gonna my next book. Never. <laughs> well, thank um, you. That that does answer my question. I'm gonna start taking notes and listening to ten hours of Joe Rogan a day. <laughs> That's my go. Yeah, so we're literally today.
2: clipping that out. That is the exact clip <laughs> that we're putting out there.
1: Get those wheels turning, you know.
2: Noted Joe Rogan fan. Well, actually, I do have one last question. Do you what uh could you give us kind of your three favorite podcasts?
0: yeah i was gonna ask one. that too perfect
1: yeah. um this one odd lots and oh i just st- i mm, can i do a tie for my third yeah okay i'm new to to these but um hollywood handbook and normal gossip
2: i don't know either of those what are speaking, they? speaking of parasocial
1: yeah, they're definitely like um so in the pandemic i moved and then i had a baby and so my social life has atrophied pretty substantially and um these podcasts are sort of standing in for having friends okay nice yeah.
0: sounds sounds like me yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so big recommend yeah, i don't have yeah. a kid
0: and i um, but Joe live Rogan in the middle your of your best York.
1: friend so that's so sweet i know he appreciates it yeah. No, um, they're good. They're good. They're funny. They're like, uh I don't know. Even the basic of like someone used a fun word that I haven't heard in a long time. Like, ooh, fun word. Like that. That's the level that I'm working with, where I'm like excited to hear a um, clip. You of kind
2: of want a little bit unplugging, right? Like a little bit less serious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I want
1: enough. some vibe. Yeah.
0: That's it. It's hard to go back to serious podcasts after you've got the fun ones. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, we will see you next week on Night Investment Advice.